All right, we are in First John. <laughs> if need be. <laughs> they like it on that side of the room. <laughs> I know, I'm going slow. You know, I'm really taking my time here because this topic is so foundational. That's really why. Um, so we're back with John the Apostle on the subject of, <laughs> yeah, the love of the brethren, right? So John labored in love, and he taught the love of the brethren all through his ministry. And, you know, I've mentioned that John lived quite a long time, quite a bit longer than the other apostles who were all martyred, and, but he was not. He lived a long time. He suffered, but he was not put to death. He um, lived a very full life, very full life. Peter and Paul were killed decades before this letter was written that we're looking at today. So John was, you cannot exaggerate how influential the Apostle John was in Asia Minor. I mean, that was his world and um, he was so honored there. And because he lived so long, there's actually stories about John that were told for years and ended up later Christian historians writing down those stories about him. And um, they're not fa fanciful and crazy. They really sound like they're, they could really be him. But one of those stories um, was that, just kind of touched my heart. He was, when he was very old, his legs couldn't sustain him anymore. He couldn't walk anymore. So they carried him to church. And he didn't have the strength to say very much usually. So um, he just kind of was there. And uh, he, he could, you know, he's used to giving these lengthy exhortations and um, sharing stories of walking with Jesus and all of that. And, and, but he was getting so old, he just really couldn't do that anymore. So, but they would say that he, when he could hardly talk, he would just if they kind of gave their attention to him for a moment, he would, he would just shout out, children, love one another. And that was his sermon. <laughs> so the stuff he's sharing here is exactly where his heart was. That just tells you where his heart was, that that's the most important thing he could think to remind them, remind the church of. So we have to follow him in that. We do. So we've been talking quite a bit recently about the command of Christ to love one another. It's in John chapter 13, verse 34, which is the impetus for John bringing this up so many decades later. But John 13, 34 is where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So based on that, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John says, this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, because that's where he started with them, that we should love one another. So that's the most important thing. It's, it's not one of many commands. It's really the one that stands over all the other commands. So the, all the other stuff doesn't matter if love isn't there, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. So it really, um, loving one another defines the other commandments. It gives substance to the other commandments. It, it has to be what undergirds obeying the other commandments of God. So love includes obeying God's commands in a general way, of course, because if we love God, we're going to do what he wants us to do. Or that's normal. And love seeks the good, and all of God's commands are good. So if you're actually going to love one another, obeying God's commands is, is one way we show love to one another. Um, we, we've defined love the last few weeks as seeking the best for others. Of course, with a, within a biblical frame of mind of what best is, right? 
That's what a godly person actually wants. A godly person wants what's best for everybody they know. And that, of course, is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and being a faithful disciple of his. So we want what's best for others. We, we pray for what is best and we work for what is best. That's how we function. And love keeps us on track to do that. So now last time we talked about a couple of specific ways, several specific ways that we can love our brothers and sisters well. And I just kind of summarized them again for you here. So it's be humble, be open about your own faults and let other people correct you. Remember we talked about faithful are the wounds of a friend from Proverbs. Make sure you're fair to everybody you have a conflict with. Don't exaggerate their errors or mistakes or problems or issues. Um, be fair-minded with that. Don't portray other people negatively in an unfair way. We talked about freeing yourself to love by entrusting yourself to the Lord. If God's got my back, I, I am free. I can get wounded by other people and it's not going to kill me because God's got my back. So that frees me up to love without recrimination or, or any other kinds of things getting in the way of that. We talked about that. We also said don't restrict your love to your group, right? Our denomination, I love our people, or our church, our little church. These are, this is the only real church in the world, you know, after all. Um, our particular doctrinal stance, and I'm talking about secondary doctrines, not the key ones. The key ones are matters of truth and heresy and all that, but um, we talked about party love. By that, not loving to party, but your little group, your, your own group you're partial to is what that means. That tendency to love people that are the most like us. Uh, because we're, we're called upon to love all true believers in Christ. So we can't restrict ourselves to our little group. So on a macro scale, that includes all Christians everywhere. of All true Christians everywhere of whatever denomination they might be a part of. And on a micro scale, that includes every single believer in this church. You've got an obligation to love them. So that's everyone, right? Everyone that's born of the Spirit. So you do everything you can to prevent division. And the Bible says... Ephesians 4.3, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's how Paul says it. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's love. And then as I mentioned, um, obeying God's commands is love. So uh, it, that shows love for God. Commandment keeping shows love for others. We talked about that just a second ago. The best place you can actually see that I think is in Romans 13 verse 8 where Paul says owe nothing to anyone except to love one another I owe everybody my love and I don't I don't owe them fortunately too much of my money but um, but that's what he's saying if you're if you're gonna owe owe love because that's something that's always going to be there he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So that's so true. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Now, Jesus elevated love to a higher level than the Ten Commandments in that way. Um, he said in everything... In everything, treat people the way you want them to treat you. What do we call that? The golden rule, right? The golden rule. Usually it's 
uh, more famously phrased and as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the way I remember it. That, but my, my translation says, treat people the way you want them to treat you. But love treats others the way we want to be treated. And Jesus said, in everything. So that means always. There's no exceptions to that. That's, that's the one rule you can apply in every possible situation in your entire life. How would I want to be treated? And that's the way I'm going to treat this person. That's so easy to say. <laughs> it's an easy idea. It's, it's not easy to implement because we're not always all that wonderful, are we? But, I, you know, I've, I've interacted with people that say, well, it's the same thing as don't do to others, you know, as um, every, every religion, practically, all the major religions in the world, most philosophies in the world, before Jesus came, so I'm talking about in the ancient world, before Jesus came, it was don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do unto you, which is perfectly fine, and that's the way to build a kind of a civil society where people can at least function together. Don't do to other people what you... But in, in modern um, unbelievers, I, I hear this all the time. They say, that's the same thing as what Jesus said. I hear that all the time. It's not the same thing. Do unto others is not the same as don't do unto others. Don't do other, uh, others means just leave them alone. Don't have a, you know, you can, you can ignore them. And you're not, and you're keeping this moral law. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So give me, here's an example. You're in school and there's a new student there. And uh, you can just ignore him and let him just sit there all by himself. And you're not, you're not breaking any law about, you're not harming him. You're not doing anything to him. But, it, but if you think about what would I want somebody to do if I was the new kid in school, then you go welcome them, right? So there's, it's a positive, and that applies in so many different situations. So here I am in this situation in life. I see this going on, or this person, what would I want them to do for me? Then you do that. That's, so it's a much higher, much higher thing. And Jesus brought that idea into the world of treat other people the way you want to be treated, not just don't mistreat them the way you don't want to be mistreated. That's a different thing, and that's fine, but that's not the same. It's not the same. Jesus elevated the, the morals uh, far above anything that anybody had ever suggested before. So for his people, for his followers, Jesus went way beyond don't do what you wouldn't want done to you, but it's do. If I was this person, what would I like them to do for me? So that's the difference, and that's our ethic as Christians. So I can't easily ignore you or fulfill my duty to Christ. I can't do that. I've got to think about, at least consider what would bless that person? What can I do for that person? So I've got to bring kindness to the situation. I've got to bring love to the situation. I have to bring acceptance. I try to understand you as who you are. I want you to flourish. I want you to do well. I'm going to do things to help you do that. Most of all, of course, I want you to know the Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, that would be the high point for us. So that brings us humbly to the next verse in our study of 1 John. So today we're going to look at verse 16. Yeah, only verse 16, Weston. <laughs> and here's where John takes the Lord's teaching and the Lord's life and shows us how that his love should define our love. So he says, we know love by this. Okay, here it is. This is what love is. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
for the brethren. Now, when he says brethren, he doesn't mean everybody in the world. It's fine to lay down your life for everybody in the world, but he's talking about this, this special love we talked about the last couple of weeks that's with amongst believers, um, or this special obligation that we have. You know, I'm always amazed at, at heroes who, who lay down their lives for their comrades. I, I, uh, to me, anybody's heroic that would even risk their life for, for another person, you know, like our first responders do all the time. But, but I'm amazed at those specific cases where somebody at a given moment chooses certain death, I mean certain death, to save other people. You know, that just blows me away that people can do that. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, you think that's humanity at its most noble, right? To people willing to do that. I remember when I was a child, I read it. They used to have these great history books for kids called landmark books. They were written by real historians, but they kind of simplified them for, for young people. And I love those. I owned a bunch of those. But there was, there was one about Iwo Jima, that I, the Battle of Iwo Jima that I remember reading. And in the back, they had listed all the guys that won the Medal of Honor um, on Iwo, 27 medals of honor were given for that one battle. I mean, that, that's how intense that was and how many people we lost. But you go down the list of what they did, and it was threw himself on a grenade to save so-and-so, threw himself on a grenade. I mean, that was like multiple times through there. So a grenade falls into the foxhole, and you don't grab this guy and throw him on the grenade. <laughs> you don't scramble out and say, run, and hope for the best. You literally take it to yourself, knowing you're going to die to save your friends. I mean, that's pretty noble. <laughs> How can you get better than that? So, Jesus, of course, endured the eternal punishment of God on sin himself for us. He laid down his physical life and suffered for us, obviously, in the most gruesome way. It's a lot easier to take a grenade than hang on a cross because it's over really quick. But, and dying on a cross is incredibly horrible, but bearing the sin of the world on that cross. We can't even imagine what that would be like, bearing the wrath of God. So, you know, I think about those kind of heroes, but maybe, maybe it's even more noble, maybe it's even a higher thing when you think about those people who regularly or daily, ongoing, give up their time, sacrifice their privileges, give up their strength, and their gifts to bless other people. To do it every day, to think that way all the time, to live a life like that, that that's the way I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna bless other people. That's, that's a laying down of your life that's maybe more noble than just grabbing a grenade that one time at that moment to save your friends. Um, that is noble, but to give every day, to think that way every day, to, to lay down your life every day, that's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. And I think that's what John is talking about here. He, he doesn't have in mind physical death, but, but a more difficult kind of dying, which in Christianity we call dying to self. Good. I, some people know it. Excellent. <laughs> Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. If you wish to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So he wasn't saying, you need to make sure you get crucified. Go poke a Roman soldier in the eyes and see what happens and you'll get crucified. No, it, how do you get crucified daily? You die to self daily. I'm not the most important person in the room. Other people are more important than I am. How can I serve them? How can I bless them? How can I do good to them? 
That is a daily dying. And that's what actually marks the Christian life, that kind of dying. That's not easy to do because we are inherently selfish. I mean, that's, what's, that's what sin is all about. I think the only way we can properly love one another is to lay down things like our ego, our prejudices, our likes and dislikes. I don't like that person because I don't like what I like. Um, and j- just follow Jesus. Which means treating people the way Jesus did. I- I'm sure I've mentioned before, you know, there's been studies on the emotional life of Jesus. So here's God become a man. He has human emotions. And you can study in the Gospels and, and, uh, of what, how Jesus was feeling because sometimes it tells you. But the most common emotion that's ascribed to Jesus, I mean by far, the most common emotion is moved with compassion. That's, that's the thing that most characterized his emotional dimension, his human emotions. Moved with compassion. He was a true human being, so he had true feelings. We know that he rejoiced, mentions that. We know that he wept, it mentions that. He was righteously angry. And, and when, in John's gospel, it says he was troubled in spirit at one point. So he felt all of those human feelings. But most of all, and the most commonly mentioned emotion of Jesus, is moved with compassion. He just, his heart went out to people. That's the way we might say it. We should be no different. There's your standard. So that's where we, we start working towards being like him. That's how we love one another. So, there's a sermon that was written uh, almost 200 years ago in 1837. And I'm going to preach it. No, I'm, I'm going to share some quotes from it. I actually put a quote in it in your bulletin last week, and there's also one in it <laughs> this week from that sermon. But um, the sermon's called Brotherly Love. It was written by John Argel James in 1837. And this guy, Pastor James, I'd never really known much about him, but when I found this, I just wanted to read about him. And he, had, he was just a pastor of a little church. He had no broad ambitions to be anything else than a shepherd of his little flock there. But he was very good he was a very good writer. He was very powerful in his ability to write things. So he became pretty well known. But he said about himself, he said, My design is to aid the Christian in the practice of scriptural truth. My purpose is not to lead the theologian through the intricate labyrinths of controversy or into the depths of profound biblical knowledge. The highest object which my literary ambition has ever led me to seek is to assist the believer in the path of life. So his stuff is just practical, you know, really how to think and how to live as a Christian, uh, really good stuff. Anyway, the sermon's so good, I just want to share a few choice bits with you. So I'm stealing this sermon in a way. I just want to stimulate you and challenge your thinking on, on how we're to love each other, how we're to love each other in our little, our little church, our little corner of the world, if you will. So um, use his thoughts to measure yourself, Okay. So first of all, he wants us to think deeply about who our fellow church members are in the eyes of God. How does he think about them? Because it would actually be a good idea if you thought about each other the way he thinks about each of us, right? I know just how God thinks of that person. They're a stinker. That's what he, no, that's, that's not what he says. I'm not, yeah, I'm not reading him yet. So, and of course, this is not just our church members, but all true Christians, we should have this attitude. All who are born from above, we should have this attitude. So listen, we're, we're all equally saved, right? Are you more saved than another 
believing Christian? <laughs> no. We're all equally saved by Christ's blood. We all are equally members of the body of Christ. We all possess the same spirit of God within us. It's not somebody else. They must have somebody else because they're kind of cranky. No, it's the same Holy Spirit in, in all of us. We're all bound for eternal glory. That's where we're going. Glory forever. That's where we're all headed. All true believers in Christ. So if we view each other that way, the heart of compassion that Jesus showed to all sorts of unworthy people, that compassion should be flowering and growing within us as well and, and coming forth from us. So Pastor James says, think about what we will be to each other in heaven. He says, let's stop here and go to heaven in the future. And what, what are we going to What's our relationship with the people we know here in church going to be like in heaven? So he starts describing that, okay? So uh, first of all, I want you to think of the most imperfect person you know. That's a fellow believer, okay? Brother and sister in the Lord. Yeah, that one. That one. And here's what he says. Now I'm quoting. He says, that man, amidst all his imperfections, has seeds of immortal excellence in his nature, which in paradise above will grow and thrive forever. He is an infant seraph, displaying at present the ignorance and willfulness and waywardness of childhood. He thinks as a child, he speaks as a child, he acts as a child, but he is to rise to manhood the manhood of perfect and heavenly virtue and put away all childish things. He is to be holy as an angel and to run an endless career of spotless purity. You will see him a perfect saint. Yes, a perfect living everlasting resemblance of Christ as perfect as a mirror is of the sun whose dazzling image is reflected from its polished and speckless surface. You will love that man forever. And see in him everything worthy of your love. He's not done yet. <laughs> On that man, the mind of God was fixed from everlasting ages. Towards him, the thoughts and affections of the great God were moving from eternity. In him, the heart of Jehovah finds its resting place. That man was in the view of Jesus when he was contemplating his redeeming death. And his salvation was part of the joy that was set before Christ for which he endured the cross and despised the shame. Out of love to him, that man, the son of God, became incarnate. And it was, it was love which sustained him amidst the scenes of his humiliation. Yet Christ loved him unto death, the death of the cross, and loved him in death, and loves him beyond death. And by all his own love and all his agonizing method of expressing it, commends him to our love. Next to Christ himself, there is not an object in creation we should love as we do a Christian. For he is not only Christ's representative, but he is the object of Christ's love. In that Christian, our heart meets Christ's heart. Is that enough motivation for you <laughs> to love somebody that's a little difficult? I, I hope so. What our, what our brothers and sisters will be should impact how we think about them now and how we treat them now. Pastor James, he says a little after this, he says, open your heart afresh 
to the brethren. You have never loved them as you ought. Kind of think he's on to something there. I think I fall pretty far short of what he's saying here. What if I did think of every believer this way? How would I be different? That's a really good question to ask ourselves. So assuming we can grow in this understanding, what, what should that look like in real life? You know, what kind of practical way should that look? Well, he starts in his sermon with forgiveness. He says, we should avoid all occasions of offense, repress every look, word, or action that is in the remotest degree calculated to give pain, and consider our brother's peace of mind as sacred as our own. We should be ever willing, ready, and even move, and even move forward to exercise the most sincere and tender forgiveness. And he says we shouldn't be hesitant about this at all. You know, I've watched the failure to forgive do so much damage in, in fellowships, of, of the Christian fellowship. It's, it's just really sad. And Pastor, he says, Pastor James says, he says, to be implacable, you know what that means? Like, you're not going to move. This is, this is where I am. To be implacable is to be like the devil. To be forgiving is to be like him who prayed for his enemies. So implacable means unchanging. So when they seek forgiveness, we offer it not just verbally, but totally for their good. That's how we think. If, if, if in my heart they're not worthy of my love or my forgiveness, then I'm blowing it pretty bad. That's like the devil. If I have that in my heart and I'm holding it, I'm not really going to, I'm going to say it. But I'm, I'm keeping this thing. That's, that's implacable. That's like the devil. That's what he's saying here. So be very careful of hardening your heart towards any brother or sister who someday you'll be in glory with. Never lose sight of the good in other people. And never become prejudicial against them. I'm just going to hold this thing against them. Don't do that. Forgiveness means letting go. Letting go of the past. You're laying down your life, aren't you, when you do that? I'm laying my life down because I don't want anything to interfere with their growth or their well-being. I'm not going to let anything enter my mind that's going to give them pain or affect their peace of mind. I'm going to protect their peace of mind. Now that might mean saying some difficult things. We'll get to that in a minute. But don't harden your heart. You know, Christians actually do change and grow. They really do. And they kind of have to because the Holy Spirit's in them and he's kind of working on them. So you don't want to get an attitude about people like they're never going to change. Let them grow in Christ. Help them grow in Christ. Appreciate what God is doing in somebody's life. That reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said about forgiveness um, in Mere Christianity, kind of the book that made him famous, uh, it's so simple, it, it, it's kind of shocking that it needs to be pointed out, but I actually needed to hear it myself. So he said, this is C.S. Lewis, now I'm jumping to another person. I remember Christian teachers telling me long ago that I must hate a bad man's actions, but not hate the bad man. Or, as they would say, hate the sin, but not the sinner. Don't we always say that? I used to think this is a silly straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate a man... How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? 
But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I'd been doing this all my life, namely myself. However much I might dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. And just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man that did those things. He's right. He's right. So you know what love does? Love extends the mercy you give yourself to other people. And we cut ourselves a lot of slack. And that's what we need to do for other people. That's the right thing to do. So next, Pastor James, back to his sermon, he talks about how often, um, well, how often we do or how often we should think about other people that we might not think too highly of. So maybe they keep failing or they have these really annoying habits or they, their, their faults puts us off so much. Sometimes it's their manner or their personality or just things they're interested in that's enough for us to deem them as kind of less worthy of our attention or our love than, than other people. And he, said, he speaks to the need to have forbearance. So he says, love forbears. What is forbearance? That's, that's, that's a patient putting up with. That's what that is. Forbearance is putting up with difficult situations or difficult people. And here's how he says it. Another operation of brotherly love is forbearance with each other's differences of opinion, infirmities of temper, and weaknesses of faith. Allied to this is a disposition to avoid all rash judgments. Love is not censorious, but is inclined to think well of its object, to diminish rather than magnify its faults, and to conceal rather than to publish them. He's so right. It's so easy to jump to judgments and, and worse than that, even if our judgments are correct, to give in to a, a settled opinion about somebody. I've decided who you are and that isn't going to change. I'm not looking for change. I'm not expecting change. You, you have lost me. You know, I don't bother with you anymore. How do we say it? That's just who they are. Even God can't change them. That's not love. That is not love. So let's make sure we think about people as much as what they can be as what they maybe are today. And he goes on. He says, brotherly love will induce a person to speak the language of admonition. What is that? Correction? Is correction loving? Of course it can be and it should be. It's insisted upon. Scripture commands us to do that. Brotherly love will induce a person to speak the language of admonition and to administer reproof, but in a manner so gentle, so tender, and so humble that the object of it, the other guy, unless he be more of a brute than a Christian or a man in his temper, shall feel that a kindness is done to him, for which there is a demand upon his gratitude and affection." And, and that's just the clear teaching of the Bible, to reprove one another, but do it with gentleness and love. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. That's forbearance. 
bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what law would that be? Love one another as I have loved you. That's what that would be. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. Write down that verse. Put it on your refrigerator. Colossians 3.12. That's it right there. That's love. That's what love looks like. So love, how you doing? How we doing with this? Are we there? Are you saying, that's me. That's so me. And then he turns his attention to church leaders. People like, like me, for heaven's sakes. He says the pastors, and in our context, elders, you know, the shepherds of the church, he's talking about the lack of love that shows up in churches. He said, I'm inclined to think that the deficiency is in many cases and in no small measure to be traced to the pulpit. If the pastor is not a man of love and a preacher of love, if he does not both, if he does not both by his sermons and his example breathe a spirit of affection into his people, and labor to the uttermost to do so, there will be a visible lack of this essential feature of church prosperity. It has not been with any of us, perhaps, sufficiently the ob our object to promote the love of the brethren. We have preached doctrines, experience, morality, faith, hope, but has love, the greatest of the three graces, been sufficiently inculcated? That's a really good question. He's using big words, but he just means, do we talk about that enough? <laughs> 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we lay down our lives by laying down our lack of forgiveness, our censoriousness, I love that word, what a great word, our failure to see what people can be and will be in heaven. We lay down any sense of superiority or any hint that we have a low regard for another person that's a brother or sister in Christ. Love labors for the good of brothers and sisters where, wherever they are in their walk, wherever they are. Love looks beyond what is to what can be through the spirit working in us. Love forgives. A friend of mine uh, back east happened to mention Francis Schaeffer's little book. It's just funny. You know, Facebook has some really horrible things about it, but there's some wonderful things too. So a friend of mine was, was just talking about Francis Schaeffer and this little book he wrote um, years ago called The Mark of a Christian, which I haven't read in decades. It's a great book. I just haven't read it in a long time. And uh, so I was thinking about this sermon. I was like, I got to look at that book again because it's all about what Jesus said, that the world will know by our love for each other, you know, that we're his disciples, and that's what the little book's about. But anyway, there's a story at the back of the book, and I just want to read it for you. So Francis Schaeffer's writing this, and it's, it's about the Brethren movement in, under Nazi reign in Germany. So it's about the Brethren church in Germany under Hitler. And, and the story goes like this. So he was talking to a guy, Francis Schaeffer was talking to a guy that, was, that lived this. He says, in order to control the church, Hitler commanded the union of all, religion, all religious groups in Germany, drawing them together by law. So you couldn't have individual denominations. Everything was under the Nazi guidance there. The brethren divided over this issue. Half accepted Hitler's dictum and half refused. The ones who submitted, of course, had a much easier time. But gradually, in this organizational oneness with liberal groups, means theologically liberal, 
their own doctrinal sharpness and spiritual life withered. On the one hand, the group that stayed out remained spiritually virile, but there was hardly a family in which somebody did not die in a German concentration camp. Now you can imagine the emotional tension. The war is over and these Christian brothers face each other again. What would that be like? They had the same doctrine. They had worked together for more than a generation. Now what is going to happen? One man remembers that his father died in a concentration camp and knows that these people over here remain safe. But people on the other side have deep personal feelings as well. Then gradually these brothers came to know that this situation just would not do. A time was appointed when the elders of the two groups could meet together in a certain quiet place. I asked the man who told me this, what did you do? He said, well, I'll tell you what we did. We came together and we set aside several days in which each man would search his own heart. And here was a real difference, Schaefer says. He says, the emotions were deeply, deeply stirred. My father's gone away to a concentration camp. My mother was dragged away. These things are not little pebbles on the beach. They reach deep into the wellsprings of human emotions. But these people understood the command of Christ at this place. And he's talking about John 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you. And for several days, every man did nothing except search his own heart concerning his own failures and the commands of Christ. Then they met together, and I asked the man, what happened then? He said, we were just one. That's the end of the story. <laughs> they, they searched their own hearts, and when they came back together, they were one. The only way to heal was to take the command of Christ to love one another seriously, more seriously than all of that pain and suffering and horrible memories, unspeakable sorrows was more important than that. Can you do that? Do you think you can do that? Die to self for the sake of the brethren and in obedience to Christ and his command that we love one another? Because that's what it takes, laying down self, dying to self. Everybody that shows up at this church, whether they're mature believers or unbelievers or new believers or struggling believers, people with all kinds of baggage, they are sovereignly placed by the Spirit of God here while they are here. That's God's choice of who you're to interact with. God ordained it. So every single believer, people we can instantly relate to and people that are not like us at all, God has ordained that we minister to them and love them. We can't fix everybody, but we can love everybody. You know, we can do our part, and that's our part. We can set our hearts to do them good. We can set our hearts to bless them. We can set our hearts to seek what is best for them. And we can lay down our lives for a little while to love God's people well. That's what we're commanded to do. Okay, enough of Mr. James. I love him, and I've never met him. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> See, when everybody else is in line for the Apostle Paul, I'm going to get in that guy's line. <laughs> All right, we have one more verse to look at on the love of the brethren in this particular section here, and we are through the easy part now. We have to move on to verse 17. 
That's the hard part. That's next Sunday. It might be a good Sunday to go visit your Aunt Mabel's church. <laughs> it's just a friendly warning, a pastoral warning. Just letting you know. We'll be in verse 17 next time. Let's pray. Lord, the challenges of love are very great. But we have a pattern for it in our Savior, our King. And we have the Spirit in our hearts to remind us if we choose the path of love to walk a path that leads to laying down our lives in hundreds of ways, in some way probably every day, we want to do that to please you. We want the world to see in us your love for sinners. And if they will see it anywhere, it will be among us. So make it real in our lives, we pray. In the name of he who laid down his life. Amen.